I like the idea. Okay, here's what I like about this uh-huh. is Nick Sab Nick Saban not as the devil, but Nick Saban as a D and D style warlock. Yes, like Nick Saban has a pact with a fae queen mm-hmm. who one day he will pay that by being her plaything for the rest of eternity. <laughs> Welcome to Chapel Bell Curve, a stats-focused podcast about UJ football. I'm Justin. And I'm Nathan. And holy shit! Well, that one's going to get a crack on the audio. <laughs> um, hey, Nathan, that was a really cool weekend, wasn't it? It Yes, it, it 100% was. Yeah. I, yeah. yeah. I, have, I have a lot of energy for this game, and yes. I'm going to have to really work hard to contain myself i don't think i've ever heard you giggle as much as i've heard you giggle in the last couple hours as we've been setting this thing up so it's been very fun for me just to hear you kind of like trudge around the room and go (laughs) yeah i have a lot of (laughs) i have a i have a lot of energy which is weird because i had zero energy after the end of the day which Uh i guess we can talk about that when we get into our our subjective experiences yeah so obviously i mean i think one of one of, if not the biggest, regular season win in Kirby Smart's tenure, easily uh, as UJ's coach, and yeah. So let's talk about it. I, we always start out these review episodes for you know every podcast is someone's first podcast, every live stream is someone's first live stream. So we always start start these out by talking about our experiences. And I obviously I was at the game, so I had a lot to talk about. But why don't you sort of walk us through how your day went first? Yeah, yeah. I had uh, my wife and I have both said many times now. That this was the this was a perfect weekend, you know. Um, she had Friday off. She had the day off as well because of Labor Day uh, as a teacher. And so Saturday morning, we woke up. I did. Uh, I went on a run through Athens. It was very quiet because all the, everybody's gone for the weekend. It seems. And then I uh, we we got ready and we went to Atlanta to go see Hamilton. Uh, only a year and a half later than we were supposed to do originally because you know we had tickets for april 2020 and it got postponed and it got postponed and got postponed and so uh, we finally got to go see it it was absolutely incredible if you haven't seen it i definitely suggest it it's it's outstanding of course um it was great we got back in time to go have some dinner with a couple friends and then i watched the game in athens as one does uh and it was just a really 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 great time i had a, a lovely time i uh by halftime, I was feeling real good, and uh, I could tell by your text. Yeah, <laughs> I was feeling real good. Um, I had enough brown liquor for more than one Justin, essentially. And by the end of the game, I, you know, I was, uh, I was feeling myself, and I said, "We need to go ring the bell right now." And so we we ran down the road to the uh, the titular chapel bell, and I um, had had enough brown liquor to where. I couldn't logistically remember how to make the chapel bell ring. Um, and I was being heckled by a bunch of, you know, uh, you know, uh, middle-aged somethings, uh, you know, down with their beers, just staring at the chapel bell and reveling in its beauty. And, you know, here I come, uh, trying to ring the damn bell and I swung on it a few times (laughs) did not work. Um, and for the life of me, couldn't figure it out. I don't know why. Um, and I eventually just looked at it and I kind of gave it my hand and said, I've rung it before. And then we went home, and I demanded that we eat uh, cinnamon toast. And so we ate some cinnamon toast and went to sleep. It was a great time. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds that sounds pretty uh, pretty transcendent on your part. Yeah. It feels like you really you really achieved your final form easily. Yeah, absolutely. I'll go back and ring the bell sometime. It just didn't, it wasn't in the cards, you know. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> what about you? 
So obviously it was a pretty long day. Got up uh, at about 6.30 and went over to Redcoat practice. Uh, I think started at 7.30. So we practiced for a couple of hours and left at about 10. No, more like 11. Yeah, left at about 11 to get up there. And I rode uh, with two very close friends of mine who are on the staff, Amanda and, and Ben. Or sorry, Amanda and Andrew. Andrew's son is named Ben. So I get it. Yeah, got it mixed up. Amanda and Andrew and I all took my car and we went up. And of course, it took four and a half hours instead of three to get up there because traffic was, of just course, awful, especially once we got up to the Clemson area on 85. And then uh, if I don't know if you've ever driven on 85 North in South Carolina, but there is like about 30 minutes of sort of car style, uh, what I would describe as like bobsledding where you're just in this little narrow concrete concrete trough that is one one lane wide for about 30 to 45 minutes. So that, huh. of course, was delightful. Yeah, it's apparently like a, it, the, South Carolina has one of the lowest gas taxes in the nation, so they're just constantly working on the maintenance and repair of their uh, interstate. So that was, you know, suboptimal. But we got up there, and we had about an hour to sort of walk around downtown Charlotte before the Redcoats got there. So, uh you know, we just did some people watching, walked around. We were trying to find a place to eat, and a mm-hmm. lot of the places in downtown Charlotte were closed for whatever reason. We, we, we walked into a taco joint, and literally as we walked in, there was, you know, the the sort of like stereotypical one sorority girl sort of supporting another sorority girl as she's going through it or whatever. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And so this is it, like. I would say about three. And as we walked in, one of them just threw up all like all over herself. And we were like, okay, you know, COVID's not great right now, but just also just like throw up in the air on top of that. So we, mm. we turned around, uh, you know, red coach showed up. It was, it was, we'll say hectic, you know, um, lots of real tight deadlines. So we got into the stadium, uh, Charlotte stadium, bank of America stadium is gorgeous. Oh, yeah? Uh, the, yeah. The, the, it's like one big bowl. It's, it's sort of uh you know jaguar stadium-esque i would say but the advantage it has is a the weather's better or it was that day and or it was on saturday and b that it's the the end zone that we're in the view was amazing because like right over the the far rim of the stadium you could see like the charlotte skyline and for whatever reason they put the away band in because we were the away team they put the away band in the end zone that was shaded from the Mm get-go so we didn't have to deal with with sun and that was great uh redcoats did a really good job had a really good run needed to have a really good run because you know everybody is dealing in the band world just as in the football world with a lot of a lot of turnover and they're just a lot of redcoats who've never marched before so i thought they did a really good job dealing with that um i thought that you know experientially it was it was really fun to be at the game i don't know how fun of a game it was to watch uh watching the kind of defense that you, georgia played in in person is really pretty it was pretty spectacular, like just the physicality and yeah. like the pad it feels popping. Different. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I fear that maybe it wasn't the world's most engaging <laughs> game to watch. You know, like as a as a TV fan. Yeah. Uh, but I, we had a great time. Uh, we, you know, we we got done. Obviously, we got to win, and we can talk about sort of the game, our reactions to the game in a moment. But I, you know, when we got done, we went back got you know we ate for a second so we could let the let the traffic die down we left about 12 we got home at about 4 30 um and it was one of those things where i was so tired that i was like i was physically in pain by the time <laughs> i got home and i slept for like 10 hours but oh 
one other thing that a weird thing that happened is that we we were on the way home and we came to a quick trip on the outskirts of Charlotte. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, quick trip, let's fill up. I need to go get like a Mountain Dew or whatever. And so we went in and, you know, a lot of times when we say like shady, what we mean is like poor people live around Mm -hmm. here. Uh, And this quick trip was not that shady. Like it was really nice inside and it was not in like a bad area so far as we could tell, but it was midnight. And so I walked in and I was like, the vibe is weird in this quick trip tonight. Like, I did not find Jesus in that quick trip. Decidedly so, not vibing. Yeah. So I got I got a drink, and I went up to the counter, and it was one of those counters that had two cash registers, and it was like the quick trip thing where one guy goes back and forth between cash registers. Mm-hmm. So there's two lines, and in the middle of the two lines, there's a dude who, that I thought was like a cop, right? And I'm like, oh, it's just like off-duty cops hang out at quick trips. That's like a thing, right? especially late night, you know, because there's robberies and stuff. And then I realized, no, it's not a cop. It is like quick trip corporate security, which is super cyberpunk, first of all. (laughs) But second, this was not just like a dude with a knife stick. Like he had a gun and he had his hand on the gun the whole time I was there. And like it was like a loop holster that had like a a retaining loop over the top, Uh over the butt of the, you know, action of the gun. And like every time someone walked by, he would flip the retaining loop off. And so I was just like, what happened in this quick trip, y'all? And Where so was this at? This was out in Charlotte. Okay. And it was not in, like, the worst neighborhood I've ever been in. It was not like, like, you know, when I went, we got gas, and I wasn't like, oh, wow, this is shady. I mean, there were some, like, people out there listening to music or whatever, but it wasn't like, like you know, dudes with AKs or whatever. And I yeah. just went in, and I was like, this is very menacing. The energy is very bad in here. <laughs> so I bought my Gatorade and my Mountain Dew and my trail mix and, like, got the hell out of there. Uh, so, you know, other than that, other than the, the late night, uh, the late night return time and the and you know the sort of slightly menacing quick trip it was it was you know pretty much a perfect day i mean just the experience of um i don't know just the experience of like having a big game the situation before the game just like the context of the game and and where we all were and where the team was Mm -hmm. it just really felt like a game that georgia was gonna lose it's the kind of game that georgia has lost a lot (laughs) And a lot of times when I've been in band, Georgia has lost this kind of game at a neutral site. And so, I don't know. It was just, I, I, I was telling my wife, it was like, I don't know what to do with my hands. Like, I, I'm like I'm just, I'm totally befuddled about how to handle this experience of, like, winning a close, important non-conference game. You know, so this is kind of neat. Um, we, we have a lot of questions, first off. And so I think a lot of this episode can kind of be guided by those questions. So we may go back and forth through Ask yeah. CBCs. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but before we get into that, I just wanted to, to mention, um, we'll put this in the show notes as well. I just dropped it into our Discord. And once again, if you're not on the Discord, it only costs a buck. And you could be listening to this live and be getting all of the bonus content as far as our show notes goes and all of access to our, our links in live time. But the, the first thing that, that Nathan found and has brought to our advanced stats pedestal, our, our shrine, if I may, today, um, is the gameonpaper.com um, stats. And it is doing all the work that we have done for the last five years, but for us. And it's beautiful. <laughs> it's, it's gorgeous. Uh, the yeah. actual user interface is, is gorgeous. It sets up all of the team stats. The, it's like at a very advanced box score. Yeah. And it shows a few really exciting stats that I'm, I'm excited to, to talk about. Um, one, for instance, is the game excitement index, which uh, is a very simple formula that's kind of based on and around 
around the win probability at any point in the game. And so it's like how much the points are swinging one way or another uh, throughout the game. Um, and uh, just a, a spoiler alert, the game excitement index for this game is, is very low, meaning <laughs> that uh, Georgia, as per the stats, handled this game from start to finish. Uh, it is actually a 5.58 on the game excitement index uh, ranking here, which I think is is really, really great. But do you want to kind of walk us through some of these stats? What is it that we see that's interesting? Yeah. Um, anything that kind of tells the story objectively? So us? first of all, I do want to say that this is a website that's put together by a, uh, just a guy over at who, and I found it through the Split Zone Duo Patreon. Mm -hmm. You should follow our Patreon, but if you don't, uh, if you want another good college football Patreon, um, Split Zone Duo is doing a very good job. Um, but yeah, so, you know, the one thing obviously is if we looked at expected points, total EPA, uh, it's it's pretty, pretty bad for both teams. I think UGA uh, ended with like negative 12.72 expected points. Uh, but Clemson ended with negative 23 expected points. Ugh. At some point, they were like in the negative 25s. Uh, you know, so just to briefly explain, yeah, it, it's the rest it's, just going to start taking points away. <laughs> Y'all, it's really bad. So uh, EPA, which is either expected points or sometimes it's PPA, but EPA is basically just like estimated or expected point added, added. So basically, it's just like how many points was each play worth so if you have a first and 10 on the 50 and the average points you score from that position is three and then you have a first and 10 on the 40 and the average points you score from that position is 3.4 well then the play in between those two where you gain 10 yards that gained you 0.4 expected points for most individual players or plays 0.2 expected points is really good so you know if you're if your epa as a quarterback is 0.2 that's, it's not really good but that's like just above average or whatever so it means every time you throw the ball you basically add 0.2 points to the final score so you know a really good defensive uh a, a really good defense will average negative expected points added right which means like every time you snap the ball against this defense you are you are basically taking points away from your expected points added basically mm -hmm. so if we look at uh the the epa the overall epa so Georgia's overall EPA was negative 12.68, which means the things that they did, uh, the things they did. Yeah. The things that they did when they were doing, you know, off when, when they had the ball cost them point, you know, negative 12 points. So, uh, you've got a couple of really big negative plays in there. You've got an interception, right? But it didn't matter because, uh, Clemson's overall, uh, offensive EPA was negative 32.77. They got five, they got positive five EPA from special teams from that turnover. And they got four, four points from that, uh, from penalties, penalty EPA. So if we were just taking when the Tigers snapped the ball with possession, every time they snapped the ball, like they're they were costing themselves points mm -hmm. functionally. So uh, UGA had 14 havoc plays. 23% of the times that they snapped the ball, Clemson either had a sack, a tackle for loss, an interception, or a pass breakup, or you know a batted pass. Uh, eight tackles for loss generated from Georgia. Seven passing, one rushing. So that counts um, snaps. And if we look at raw raw yards, which is you know um, not great because the way we calculate yards in college football, we, we use sack yards as rushing yards, but even just like raw yards are pretty rough in this game. Mm -hmm. Right. If we, if we do net yards where we count sacks, Clemson had two yards rushing. Um, I mean, it, it was, 
it it was obviously the defensive slugfest that it was shown to be, but I don't think this game this game was obviously close and obviously one game one play could have changed this game radically like a busted coverage coverage or assignment but from a statistical standpoint negative 20 or negative 32 epa offensive epa over 70 plays or 72 plays is absolutely stupefyingly bad like <laughs> i i want to make sure that i get this across so they they had 72 plays right mm-hmm. and they had a negative 32 epa which means that Basically, every time Clemson snapped the ball, they were taking like 0.2 points away, basically. So it's like every time Clemson walked up, like there there were times during this during this game where Clemson would have been better off. Oh yeah, almost half a point every time, 0.4 points every time they snapped the ball, they lost. Right? Ugh. There were several plays during which Clemson would have been better off to snap the ball and take a knee than what they did. Right? <laughs> that's that's absolutely insane like for instance that just that play uh the play where uh clemson through the point six or through the pick six was like a negative 11 epa play like they cost themselves 11 points on that play so so if you know the obvious top line the obvious top line statistical thing that we can find in this in this game is that georgia's defense was not just fluky good Mm -hmm. georgia's defense was not just you know they got a couple of big sacks, but otherwise gave up some soft yards or whatever. Georgia's defense was as good as you think they are. This was a complete defensive ass whipping. And like when we were there, it was very clear, especially in the third and fourth quarter, that Clemson's offense did not want to go on the field. They could not block Georgia. Mm-mm. And on some level, if you can't block, you're not going to win. No. And now things weren't perfect for Georgia, but defensively, it's as good as it seems like it is. So, for instance, like uh, middle eight plays. That, so, the middle eight is this idea that, like, basically, if you if you take the middle eight minutes of the game, which is the four minutes before halftime and the four minutes after halftime, a lot of times those are the most important, uh, most important, the most important time in the game, basically. So, Georgia only ran four middle eight plays on offense. Clemson ran eighteen, but in those eighteen middle eight plays, Georgia's or, or Clemson's uh, EPA was negative fourteen point two five. Every in the middle eight minutes of the game, which are the most important swinging minutes of the game, because you can do back to back possessions mm-hmm. after halftime. Every time Clemson snapped the ball, they lost point seven nine points. Jeez, yeah, I'm just, I was wondering about that a little bit because because I like that it lays out the middle eight plays in this, and I'm glad that you got there uh, pretty immediately because there is a big disparity there between the two teams. But the disparity, thankfully, was uh, in our favor, uh, and that Clemson just technically lost points every time they snapped the ball. Yeah, I mean, I, and the thing is, like, I think that you know, if you were a Clemson fan, you would say, well, if we scored a touchdown you know, X, Y, and Z, you know, it would be a one possession game or it would be tied or whatever. And that, that's def- definitely true. But I think that sort of ignores the fact that like, okay, so obviously both of these teams had pretty bad offensive nights, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, not a lot of continuity. You had injuries on Georgia's side, on, on Clemson's side, you were breaking a lot of people. Clemson just doesn't have an offensive line that can break, that can block a defensive line of the caliber of Georgia. But I think that in a game where both teams were a little bit more advanced offensively, you would have just seen a similar result with more points. Like mm-hmm. I don't this game, but I mean, like I, I tweeted made make their ass quit at the end of the game in the fourth quarter main, cause I was pretty jacked up. But the reason I tweeted that is that on that last offensive possession, Georgia got into 
a single back under center set and mm-hmm. ran the same play like six times. Yes. They ran like they ran James Cook in motion and then they ran an inside zone and they did the same thing and Clemson could not stop it. And I I think, you know, we, we can answer some questions about how the flow of the game went, but I think that don't get it twisted. You had three, maybe four starters out, right? You had Tate Ratledge out. You had uh, Darnell Washington out, who would definitely have started. You had Tyke Washington out, right? You had a Tyke defensive Smith, yeah. star- starter out. You lost an offensive lineman. Justin Schaefer got injured. Warren Erickson, who was already hurt, had to play left guard because because Tate Ratledge is out now for the season. And you put an absolute ass whipping on the third ranked team in the nation, right? And that's that's what the game was. And don't let anyone who is in Ohio State or Alabama or whatever fan tell you anything different. There is, There are not many teams in this country other than Alabama. There are probably no teams in the country that want this smoke right now. Like because, because if Georgia just has an average offensive game against anybody mm-hmm. with that defensive performance, they're going to beat anybody in the nation. And I'm, I include yeah. Alabama in that. Oh, absolutely. This is This is not by far. Uh, on our schedule, on our regular season schedule, obviously, this is the best defense we'll face all season. There is a yeah. chance that it might be still the best defense we'll face all season. We haven't seen, we, you know, Alabama had a fantastic game and held a, a pretty okay Miami team um, to, what, two touchdowns, I think, 14 on the day. But, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, like, the, it's it's a fairly similar situation. They They had all their best players return. They were, you know, locked and loaded. And we said before that in our preview episode that this game is going to be decided when Georgia has the ball on offense. Um, and that was not true. <laughs> we were very wrong. <laughs> we were very wrong. As was everyone else, I would uh, point out. But, you know, it, it is what it is. And, and I'm glad that, you know, our defense played exactly how uh, they, they are supposed to and we expected them to play. But um, I'm, I'm kind of getting ahead of myself in a way. But I'm, I definitely want to talk, now that we're just kind of looking at all these stats, about the one question on everybody's mind going forward is that is there anything in these stats that can help us kind of kind of assuage our concerns about the Georgia offense like I I believe and I I think I know still just by watching the play calling and sort of the schematic like schematically watching the game on on Saturday that we really didn't pull a whole lot of big plays and that was because we didn't have to um but is there anything that that's indicative of kind of our future offensive dealings well, um, in these stats yeah i mean there's no way to say it that georgia like georgia was was bad on offense right mm-hmm. and so i mean i guess a, a couple of things that you can take away you know zamir white 5.69 yards per play 0.21 epa per play which is good i mean it's not like crazy but it's good 54 mm-hmm. 4 percent uh x rate or 54 uh, percent success rate uh negative four win percentage ad, uh, added but you know that ultimately that doesn't really matter um I think obviously you got to take the biggest positive takeaway is that like, well, the run game seems to be working. And Mm -hmm. I think that Georgia's offensive line throughout the game, despite having to shuffle, uh, had some really good, good, good moments in the run game, really, really creased Clemson a lot in those last two quarters. Mm -hmm. You know, JT Daniels, 22 for 30, 135 yards, no touchdowns, one, one interception, one sack, uh, 4.35 yards per play, which is, that's really the number to me. Um, point negative 0.38 EPA per play, which is bad, but, uh, not as bad as DJ along <laughs> Well, no, it's actually slightly worse on an EPA basis than, than DJ's yeah. Uluangale was. Um, 29% success rate and negative 11 EPA on the day. Of course, DJ had negative 14 on the day because um, he had more snaps. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, if we're, if we're kind of just going to observations 
the, the sort of observation segment of the show. Mm-hmm. Welcome to the segment. Um, <laughs> I guess the two observations I had were, A, I think that schematically Georgia did some interesting things in terms of formational stuff. I think a lot of the stuff that we said that Georgia would do in our preview episode happened. I just think it wasn't successful, right? Yeah. Georgia tried to work the middle of the field. Georgia tried to do some underneath stuff. And on the one hand, you have to credit Clemson because, you know, despite I think that the defensive line of Clemson had some really good moments but ended up kind of getting gassed because they weren't as deep. But I think that the Clemson secondary really was like running downhill, really, really ate that understate, underneath stuff up. So, you know, my my observation slash takeaway slash whatever on Georgia's offense is, is kind of, uh, kind of multifaceted because – on the one hand, I do think that you had I, – I don't think that Kirby or Munkin would tell you, oh, like, we we were intentionally this conservative. I don't think they were. I don't think there was really anything in the bank. I don't think that there's, like, a secret playbook for UAB. I do think that they had the terms of the game offensively dictated to them by how good Clemson was, which is never a place you want to start with, but I think it just was. And I think furthermore that, you know, I think after the second quarter, Kirby figured out, like – these guys can't really do anything against us Mm -hmm. offensively. Now I don't think they went into a shell. I think that they were still trying to score points. I think Kirby would have really loved to win that game like 17 to three. And I think he would have been one offensive touchdown. He would have been way happier. But I, I also think that, you know, there's a difference between saying, oh, we had things left in the playbook, which I don't think is true, or we weren't trying to score, which I don't think is true, and mm-hmm. saying we were being conservative, right? Like 4.35 yards per play from a 2021 quarterback, what that tells me is we didn't think that with Tate Ratledge out that we could block Brian yeah. Percy, basically. We didn't think we could block Miles Murphy on the deep stuff. Now, I thought that there was some – obviously, there's one really bad decision from uh, JT, but I thought you know he looked a little hesitant at times. I think if – I think this game is probably much different if either of these teams has a game before it, uh, you know, against a, probably a lesser opponent, because I think in that instance, you have a lot more confidence coming in just with the speed of the game and just like, you know, you have you've knocked the rust off. So, I mean, do you have any other observations or just things you saw before we get into like our takeaways for stuff going forward? Um, still looking at the stats here. It, I will say it's it's, it is and it isn't disappointing that we didn't have we had zero percent zero percent of our plays were explosive plays <laughs> yeah uh, not a single one yeah there's not there's no way to make the, the to make the data look better it's yeah it's pretty bad it, yeah that does suck definitely and but at the same time i still think this is a top 15 offense at, at the end of the day and i think that a top 15 offense I, I if i remember correctly our offense going into the national championship was by fpi and sp plus was like a 12th ranked offense and our defense was the first ranked defense mm-hmm. and so if we're using that same formula just with a different schematics system uh it it may yield the same results um i'm not upset about that is, is how i feel about it I, it feels like we have a lot of the same pieces in you know this this linebacking core and this defensive line and so yeah i mean i think yeah i think you're right i think bill Connolly said today that he thought he thought that Clemson could be a top five offense still and that Georgia could be a top 15 offense. And I think that's true. Um, I think obviously one of the takeaways is, you know, if we're going to go into our sort of like takeaway segment of what, mm-hmm. what we take forward from this one is like Georgia's got to get healthy. Yeah. Uh, we have a question about this earlier, uh, later on, but I guess we can kind of, uh, we can address it now. Somebody asked us about Jermaine Burton. Like, why was he out here? Well, I think Jermaine Burton was out there because he was one of the healthier wide receivers on the team. Mm-hmm. But we found out today in the press conference uh, for U- the UAB game that basically he had had 10 to 15 of the 45 practices 
as a healthy player. He was not 100%, right? Mm-hmm. There were there were two or three times where he just got blown up in a uh, blocking wide receiver blocking thing where we, we threw like a little underneath screen to either another wide receiver to James Cook, you know, on a, on a flat route, and he just got absolutely lit up for a negative play. And so, you know, this if this team is all the way healthy with or without Gilbert, I think that it's probably at least a top 20, top 25 offense. And I think, you know, if you can get Kyrus Jackson receipt, uh, returned punts, but, you know, apparently wasn't good enough, didn't have the confidence in the knee. So if you get Blaylock and Jackson back, I think you're mm-hmm. going to start to feel better. If you get um, if you get a healthier version of, you know, Jermaine Burton, I think you start to feel better. So I think one of the big takeaways is like these next three weeks, I think you're going to see a lot of running from UGA. Yeah. And I think, yeah. I think, you know, we're going to try to work some guys back in, but ultimately you're going to see a lot of, a lot of just like inside zone, split zone, outside zone, uh, handed off to Kendall Milton slash Zamir white slash Kenny McIntosh, because Georgia just has to get some healthy pass catchers. I, I think to me, that's the biggest takeaway. Yeah. I mean, my other big takeaway is I don't know that we really saw anything out of JT that would make us think that he's taken a step forward. Now, I don't think that JT Daniels hasn't taken a step forward. Mm-hmm. I don't think that he can't. I just don't think we really saw enough to really definitively say either way. He looked, you know, hesitant at time, which makes sense because he probably played the the best defensive line he's going to play until mm-hmm. he gets to Atlanta. Um, but he has to learn to trust his offensive line to drive the ball to not bail out quite as quick. And you know, Georgia has to start. I think. And, and, you know, some of this might have been just mucking thinking, well, we just have to run it. But I think Georgia has to be uh, has to make a more concerted effort to give give JT some glance routes for when things break down in the offensive line. So, yeah, that that's to me. Those are my big takeaways. Do you have anything else? Um, I, I will say, you know, from just a, a TV viewing standpoint, JT looked good still like he looked calm. He looked collected. I don't I don't recall a whole lot of plays where he looked frazzled. Um, there were, you know, there was the one sack that Clemson did get and there were a few passes deflected, but even after those and, and following that play, he didn't seem like totally ruined or, or totally frazzled after that. You know, he, he still kept yeah. doing what he was doing at the end of the day. He did the job that he needed to do. And I think that was, it's the first game of the season. We have a long season. Let's not have any more injuries. Let's not put balls in places where you could, you could get a guy hurt. Essentially. I think yeah. that it, it, it might come down to that. And, uh, uh, the question that was asked about that was uh, about Jermaine Burton specifically was uh, from Cape uh, asking, was anyone else surprised Jermaine Burton was a non-factor in our passing game? As much attention as he got the latter half of the last year, I was shocked there wasn't a player or two designed to get the ball in his hands. I found it, I, I didn't find it weird that he wasn't a factor. I found it weird that it felt like we were using plays that we saw him be successful in this year. Um that we saw him be successful in last year, we saw them this year, but without him as the key piece of those plays, like all of those like right over the top plays and those sweeps and things like that, we did see uh, some some pieces like that that were mainly tight ends, mm-hmm. which is kind of it's meant to be a tight end play at the end of the day uh, most of the time. So I, I wasn't too surprised about that, but I was surprised that it just wasn't he wasn't more of a factor in those plays in the rotation. I guess does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it does. It does make sense. I, I think. You uh, having him out there because he's one of your only options is one thing, and mm-hmm. that's fine. But you know, my biggest thing was, yeah, I think we could have implemented him better. I think we could have like sort of designed some things for him better. But it's also just like, at some point, if he is not ready, 
mm-hmm. like don't make him block. Yeah. Right. And, and and that's the thing. Like, and I think we figured that out because we stopped throwing that to his side. But I mean, ultimately, the answer is that we just have to get healthier. Yeah. And it seems like Tyke Smith and Darnell Washington should at least be back by, if not, you know, UAP or South Carolina, then maybe after the Vanderbilt game. Mm-hmm. You know. So I mean, that gives us. I think you know the 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 ceiling on this offense, like we said, is still pretty high. Um, but I I have learned enough in my time of doing this thing that you have to you have to believe it when you see it basically right so mm-hmm. right now all i know about this team is that they probably have the best defense in the country um and they have pretty good special teams when they can get out of their own way mm-hmm. uh, you know we saw a miss from hot pod but that would have really sealed the game if, if, if we'd have been up 13 to 3 i think the game would have been a little bit different but uh you know aside from one hot pod miss and an errant bounce that i still think hit james skalski before it hit uh, whoever it did hit, I forget who who actually was who mm-hmm. got the brunt of that. Aside from those things, I think you know special teams look pretty good, and you can ride that a long way. I don't think you can ride number one defense, good special teams to the national championship the way that you used to be able to. Mm-hmm. But I think you know you can muddle around until you get on your stride offensively because of the way the schedule breaks down, right? I mean, you, you, the next three weeks having UAB Vanderbilt, South Carolina, and, you know, South Carolina had, I guess, a good game against a bad opponent, but you don't, you know, Vanderbilt might be the worst team in the country. Um, And, and that's saying something that's really saying something because, because New Mexico state and uh, Connecticut are also God awful. So the fact that Vanderbilt might be worse than them is just just staggering. They lost to East Tennessee. Georgia tech lost to a team didn't win a game last year. So there's that. Yeah. So, uh, (laughs) yeah. So, I mean, you have some really bad teams on the schedule and you have some teams that you should be able to beat with your third string. And that's not even like, that's not hubris or arrogance or whatever. Like, UGA's scout team has a shot against Vanderbilt. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Now they probably wouldn't win, but they had a they have a shot, mm-hmm. right? You know what I'm saying? So like, th- you have to take advantage of this time that you have in the lull in the schedule when you kind of get to do the Clemson thing, right? We don't yeah. get to do the Clemson thing the entire year, but if you look at like the the schedule coming up, I mean, you just like you should be an easy four or five and zero. Oh. Like, and I mean, you should win every game, but I mean, over the next few over the next month, you have. UAB, South Carolina, Vanderbilt, Arkansas, and then Auburn. So, right. So you have, what, four weeks to Auburn. And, you know, that's going to be – you have that back-to-back of uh, going to Auburn and having Kentucky coming to Georgia. And that's sort of uh, outside of the Florida game. That's kind of your schedule, right, those three games, Kentucky, Auburn, Florida. And so if you – if you can get healthy, that's my takeaway. Like if you are healthy by the time Auburn happens, you should go to the SEC championship and maybe mm-hmm. the college football playoff, right? Um, you just hope that Ron Corson re- makes a full recovery from COVID, which it seems like he is, and uh, that, you know, therapy goes well or whatever. Yeah. Let me ask you a question from John Luca Dogs uh, in the SCBC, actually, that uh, while we're talking about all this, we're talking about the passing game and everything. He asks, what's the reason for the lack of vertical passing game? I noticed that even the healthy receivers weren't running any deep routes, and I can't figure out if uh, if it was because of the injury situation or if it was a Munkin strategy decision based on Clemson's personnel. Uh, well, I think I think it was a personnel decision. Um, I wish we'd been a little bit more aggressive, but there were several times where we were in obvious passing downs and the pocket just sort of collapsed around JT, and it was pretty clear that he was not. He looked comfortable, and he looked like he knew what he was doing most of the time. But he was running for his life at times back there. Not as bad as DJ had it, but still. I think we just sort of decided that we could win a closer game. We, 
I think it, we felt like it's more likely that we win this game if we are conservative, which normally that is uh, not the correct answer in football. Mm-hmm. But I think that there's an, a slight exception on this time because I think their thought was, well, if JT has a turnover and we throw a pick six, then who knows who's going to win. But if we just keep punting well and, you know, running the clock down that, you know, we can we can sort of get out of here like that. Now, I don't really think that that's a super good answer, but I think that there is an intentional decision to, to protect JT because, you know, I think part of the problem that Clemson had, if you look at it from the opposite angle, part of the problem that Clemson had is that they didn't really do a lot. I mean, they had they had like 12 personnel or they're the closest thing they have to 12 personnel. Um, and you know, max protect a lot, but they didn't do a lot in terms of their actual playbook to, Mm -hmm. to, to protect DJ, right. They couldn't run. I mean, one of the, one of the stats that we haven't talked about is that Clemson running the ball, uh, was had a, they ran 16% of the time. So 27% of the time they ran and they had negative seven, negative 7.8 EPA on run plays point negative 0.49 on run plays, which every time they ran the ball, they lost half a point. So I think they decided pretty, pretty early that they couldn't run. And that is what led to those seven sacks. Right. And I think, I don't necessarily agree with it, but I understand the logic from Munkin and Smart, which is these guys are playing right into our hands. Mm -hmm. We are going to keep sacking this dude. We are going to give up a minimum amount of points. And so I think in their mind, the best version of this game, you don't win 10 to three, but you might win like 17 to three. Yeah. If you imagine like if that hot pod play, if that hot pod uh, kit goes in, which it should have probably, if you imagine like, what if Lad McConkey, who I thought was going to have a big game but didn't, what if Lad McConkey catches that obvious touchdown, right? What if you get one or two more penalty uh, penalties called the correct way, which I think the the roughing was pretty bad this weekend, right? Mm-hmm. So I think there's a vernage in this game where we're kind of wary about what the fo- about what the offense is doing, but we still end up with like seventeen to twenty four points, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that I think that was a deliberate choice, and you know. You, I guess it's up for you to decide what they, whether or not that was a correct answer. Yeah. I think that that's the last like pure stats question we have in the asks. There's, there's other questions that are kind of more, uh, they're more do qualitative. You, than well, do you want to talk about, do you want to go over our predictions and over-unders? Oh yeah. And how wrong they were. <laughs> we were very, well, we got, we got a couple right. So for me, we had over-under 2.5, uh, touchdowns from ujrbs we both uh, we did I, say under That's yeah good. we both said under we both got that right okay i said over under three sacks for uga i said over i said under. that that yeah. was that was very demonstrably correct on my part i will say i was still right in saying three sacks that's a lot of sacks nathan and uh because it is a lot of sacks but seven is also seven is even lot even of more so uh over under three sacks for clemson you said under and uh-huh. you were correct and i said over and i was hey. wrong um uh, I, I thought that Miles Murphy would have a bigger day, but I guess, you know, not that's today. Part, of, part of the answer, I mean, part of the reason that happened is because of that conservative game plan, which, mm-hmm. you know, um, uh, one thing, one thing that one more note on the conservative yeah. game plan. I think that they, I, I want to be clear. Like, I don't think they plan to score no offensive touchdowns. I think they were thinking we can get out of here with like 17 points and win this game. So like, even with a conservative game plan, UJ still had some problems on offense inside of that game plan. Anyway, <laughs> so what were your over-unders? Uh, I thought that Justin Ross, well, I was curious Justin Ross would be a, a bigger um, component in this game. I said over-under one and a half touchdowns for him. We both said under. Uh, that is correct. And over-under 51 and a half total points. I thought, honestly, this was like a windmill slam over. because <laughs> Yeah, me too. And it was not. So, you know, both te- we, we both said over, both wrong. Um, 
just thought the offense would be a much bigger piece of the equation. But here we are. Uh, our final predictions for the game, you said Clemson 28, Georgia 27. I said Clemson 24, Georgia 28. Uh, again, could not be more wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think anybody thought no offensive touchdowns scored. No, 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 not at all. So it is what it is, and I, I'm, I'm happy for it. I've never been more happy to be wrong, I will say. So I'll give it that, definitely. Um, and we have plenty of Ask CBCs to kind of go around. They yeah. are all over the place. And again, if you want to hear your questions on the show, be sure to get these to us before the episode is recorded, which is uh, usually on Sundays. It's a weekend. Uh, it's still the weekend for us right now. So Monday is just kind of a, a prolonged Sunday this weekend. So, uh, But yeah, so feel free to hit us on Twitter or Gmail or Facebook, Carrier Pigeon, Note in Nathan's Pocket, whatever works. First one comes from Kesarge. Was this the biggest season opening win in modern Georgia history? How am I supposed to ever sleep again? <laughs> Um, I mean, I guess if you want to go back to like 2000, since I have been a Georgia fan, like 2006 ish, probably, mm-hmm. um, there have been some other big ones. I mean, if you go back to, I think 2005 was when they beat boys, uh, they beat Boise state on the first game, but I don't think you've had a higher, higher leverage one just in terms of the situation. And like, you know, I don't, it's been a long time since Georgia has played someone they would see in the college football playoff theoretically and beaten them in the first game. So I think probably yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, Disney Dog asks, do you think that our lack of offensive touchdowns stemmed from the play calling or was Clemson's D just that good? I would say it's probably about 70-30 Clemson's D yeah. or 60-40 Clemson D being good. I mean, they are they were a good group. They, they were good. Really, really, really good tackling. Yeah, and I think the rest of the season will kind of show us that too. Like, this is one of those things where the thing that I've been reading is that, like, you know, if Clemson has a perfect season from here to the end, they can still of course, get into the college football playoffs because they, as long as we continue playing as well as we did mm-hmm. on Saturday mm-hmm. uh, because it's a quality loss, uh, which is still a dumb thing, I think, but it's a different conversation. But uh, but if Georgia stays as good as they have and Clemson falters, uh, it looks bad on us and <laughs> it looks bad on them and they may not get into the college football playoffs. It all depends on how, you know, the, the four, five, six, seven, eight, all those teams do. Uh, just I, kind of, yeah, you know, jockeying I, I for think- position. Both of these teams are each other's best mm-hmm. fans. Like, I think if you're Georgia, you want Clemson to go out in the next three weeks and just drop like 80 in every game. Because yeah, Because that makes you look really good. And if you're Clemson, bad. you want to see Georgia shut people out for the next three or four weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, next question. Eric Russell, could this defense be better than the defense of 2017? Yes. Ah! No, ab- no, yeah, you're wrong. Yes, 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 <laughs> yes, yes. Just, just, I mean, count five stars, yeah. count depth. I mean, you had Roquan, you had some really good players on the 2017 team, and you had some really, really good uh, veteran leaders who made really clutch plays. You mm-hmm. had, you know, Dominic uh, Sanders, you had Roquan, you had, like, uh, not Leonard Floyd, but um, uh, Carter was on that team, too. Mm-hmm. But I, I just, the, the this 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 defense is so deep, mm-hmm. so deep. Man, uh, how stoked are you that you don't have to try and pronounce the Clemson QB's last name anymore after this whole offseason? <laughs> I'm actually kind of pissed off that like now that I'm doing it sort of right, that now I don't have to do it anymore. But I whatever. also think that this is one of those questions that if you say it out loud, it's going to become true now that we're probably just going to have to play Clemson again. Like, yeah, we're going to be two and three in the football playoffs and we're going to play them again. Uh, you know, Kirby will find things to show the defense that they did wrong. What in the world could that be? Is the um, last question here. Keely Ringo had kind of an obvious pass interference. I think there's probably some things in terms of like Jacoby Dean missed a cat tackle. Um, I think we had some run fits that were a little suboptimal. Mm-hmm. And and actually, I think probably like 
Kirby would tell you that uh, with the in in terms of pass rush that there were probably some missed opportunities. Like we probably could have had like eight or nine sacks. Yeah, if we had finished a little bit cleaner. Um, I, I I thought that the run fits were good in general, but sometimes we were relying on the fact that like uh, Clemson's center could not block J- Jordan Davis, right? Mm-hmm. And so then it didn't really matter if the run fit was correct. Um, I thought that. I thought that, you know, the safety play was obviously pretty good. Christopher Smith, Chris, Christopher Smith basically won the game. But mm-hmm. um, there were some moments where you would have liked to have seen a little bit better positioning. But, yeah, that's all real nitpicky. Yeah. I would also say there may be a world in which Kirby's going to focus on, um, you know, doing some more forced fumble drills. Because with seven sacks, you'd expect the ball comes out of the boy's hand at some point. But it didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, at least we didn't force any fumbles and, and, and you know, recoveries in that way. But, um yeah, so I think that that may be something that he tries to nitpicks and, and tries to to build off of. Uh, if I had to pick something, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's also some work to do on the special teams defensively, but um, yeah. Next question, Austin MS. Looking at all of the evidence, is Nick Saban really Nick Satan? Or has he made a deal with a great interdimensional being uh, Cthulhu? We'll accept theories of deals with lesser gods as well. Oh, man. I so, like the idea. Okay, here's what I like about this uh-huh. is... Nick Saban, Nick Saban, not as the devil, but Nick Saban as a D&D style warlock. Yes. Like Nick Saban has a pact with a fey queen mm-hmm. who one day he will pay that by being her plaything for the rest of eternity. <laughs> but for now, she's making him a very good, you know, sort of in, in the world of darkness changeling mythos, mm-hmm. we would say that he is like a foundling, right? Yes. And that this some fey wants him back because they see something beautiful in him mm-hmm. or whatever. And I, I really like that idea. That is really nice. I, I will preface this too with the fact that like I I do have a lot of respect for Nick Saban. Um and I think he's he's actually a really good guy otherwise, um, than just being a, a good football coach. Um and there's a really lovely GQ article that was written about him um several years ago, but he also really hates being called <laughs> and compared to Satan. Uh but I'm just gonna say his middle name's Lou, Lucifer, and his birthday is Halloween. That man may just be the Christian devil. And if I had more time to kind of go through uh, more of the actual stats, um, his like uh, his wins or win percentages, I'm sure I'd find something in there. Something in there that's kind of evil. Something there that's kind of, you know. I don't I mean, I don't think he's evil. I think he's boring. <laughs> he is uh, pretty you know boring. I mean, it's like he's like the Darth Vader of coaches. He's like the er bad guy it's just mm-hmm. sort of like whatever show a chink in the armor man mm-hmm. even the death star had like a, a an exhaust port you could shoot you know yeah uh yeah so jay anderson 25 should i feel better uh feel better or worse about uga's championship odds after this game i assume likelihood of making the playoff goes up after knocking off a competitor but lsu in 2019 and bama in 2018 makes me wonder about a defense first uga team winning the two playoff games or three if we count the sec championship game i mean i think you should feel better because i think you know, defense doesn't win championships anymore, but you have to, or at least I feel like that the the ceiling on this offense is way higher. So if you have an offense that's, that's, you know, top 15 instead of top five with this defense, I think you can win. Uh, next question, Chris D in London, which uh, is probably one of my, my favorite new discord friends. Just got to put that out there. Uh, also has a really lovely story uh, about being a Georgia football fan and how it's tied to, to him to the uh, university and the town at large. Uh, but what do you know of the history and evolution of the Go Dog Sikkim Wolf 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 kickoff chant? So this is the thing. So when he was asking this, um, I thought that he was talking about like the band chant. Mm-hmm. 
And the Godog Sikkim chant, I don't know. I tried to look it up. It seems like it's actually been around for a long time. Mm-hmm. It's been around at least from the 60s. And um, But I would be... I don't know if the whole like doing the go dogs at kickoff, like the actual kickoff chant, I don't know the origin of that and I couldn't find it, but I would be happy to hear from an older Georgia fan what that was. But I might, I know some people that are pretty good at uh, Georgia history. So I'm going to do some more resources. Like I do know the story of the band chant, Mm -hmm. which is its own interesting thing, but that's not what he's asking about. And I thought that it was. Um, how come we end up playing UAB in 2021 and 2023? Is there a story behind this? It's not like they're a top team and we've arranged a home to home with them over the course of a couple of seasons. I imagine some of it is that we recruit Alabama heavily, but if we're going to play G5 opponents for recruiting purposes, why tread the same ground twice so soon? Well, okay. So, um, it, it has to do with recruiting. Chris is right, but I mm-hmm. don't think it's in the way that he thinks. So there's, there's a couple of reasons that these big power five, uh, the, the power five group of five or power five FCFs games happen. Um, so one of them is, you know, obviously regional footprint. It is just easier to bring someone in from the Southeast. Um, mm-hmm. You don't have to pay them as much money if they can bus, right? Or or if they can take a short plane ride. Uh, number two would be that, you know, for recruiting purposes, I don't think the recruiting thing is we want exposure in Alabama. Mm-hmm. I think Georgia's recruiting apparatus is such that they know they can recruit anywhere in the nation and in the world if they want. So they're not really that worried about, you know, finding at like... Uh, fi- like people in Alabama recognizing the Georgia G because they played UAB. Yeah. I think the reason they care about that is that, you know, despite what every coach in the world would tell you, these games are a little bit less stressful for them than a game against Auburn or South Carolina or whatever. So if you want to have a big recruiting day, especially with the lower classes where like with your sophomores and juniors that you're recruiting early, you can really put some one-on-one time in with recruits and not worry so much about like, I have to spend every second game planning. Mm-hmm. So that's how, that the recruiting draw is you have to have some games that aren't high leverage. So you can actually recruit in season. The other draw is more relational. Uh, so a lot of reason that FCS FBS games happen, but sometimes with group of five games as well is, all of these people, there's a finite number of people with the the ability to coach football at this level or with the ability to administrate at this level. So, you know, I think that Kirby and Josh Brooks would tell you that the next time they hire a coach or an associate, an associate athletic director, it very well could be someone at UAB. And a lot of these guys used to work together, right? So Kirby, I know, is friends with Bill Clark. I don't think they were ever actually – he's the co- coach at UAB. I don't think they were ever actually on the same staff, but they, I knew they're friends. They, they all – like have like lake houses near each other or whatever. So that does matter. But then also like the like sort of collegiality of uh, the relationship between these two universities matters. It seems like it doesn't, but it does, you know, it, it pays to have these guys to have like friends at the lower end of the cut of the sport, because that is your recruiting op-ed for coaches and administrators. Mm-hmm. And then the, the final thing is just like, UAB is going to probably be if you have to have a low interest game against a play, against sort of like not a body bag team but a team you're probably going to beat UAB probably has more interest for most Georgia fans than you know uh, Louisiana well which is not a body bag game at all because they're pretty good but you know then Louisiana Tech or you know Middle Tennessee uh, UAB you know has a sort of geographical footprint similar in nature to UGA's. And also they have a pretty good brand right now because of the whole like come back from the dead thing. <laughs> I like that. Uh, and the very last question from Christy, which book would you most recommend about the history of the Georgia football uh, program? And I have a few of yes. these. What do you have? Uh, Seth Emerson's book. Seth yep. Emerson wrote a book. Attack the Day. Uh, that's very good. It's called Attack Today. Um, there's one about um, 
There's one about Mark Richt that's really good. Uh, I actually really like. It's not about the the whole program, but if you want, if you want to see it's like some of the just like 1980 stuff, um, Bill Connolly has a book called The Fifty Most Interesting or The Fifty Best, and then it slashed out uh, most interesting uh, college football teams of all time, mm-hmm. wherein he um, wherein he basically talks about like e like just really important teams in the history of college football, and he has like a whole chapter about the 1980. Uh, the 1980 UGA team and just like how they actually were not that good statistically and Mm -hmm. how not that they got lucky to win. I mean, they did get lucky a couple of times, but also just that like it was sort of, they were like a team of destiny. So that's a really interesting one. Um, Do you have any others? Yeah. um, The there's, there's a few there's Baluda Scott. That's the greatest moments in Georgia football history. And it's a really well-researched book. Um, It's written by the former public relations director um, for the Georgia sports hall of fame. So, uh, he actually interviews a lot of people that were at the the Georgia Florida game in 1980, um, and a lot of people regard that play like that last play in the last few seconds of that game, um, the touchdown there that was like a, a full the uh, full field touchdown as one of the most important and most significant plays in Georgia football history. But um, that's a really cool book, uh, just because I'm sort of a, a history nerd and uh, I really enjoy the interviews in that one. Also the from Herschel to a hobnail boot. That's all about Larry Munson. Um, and I think that you can't talk about Georgia football history without talking about Larry Munson. And then the very last one is Damn Good Dogs. And it is the story of Ugga <laughs> and all of our, our bulldog mascots. It's very, very fun. Um, and I just really like dogs. So, yeah, that's a really good one. Next question. Ryan Clark. If I'm going to start the Star Wars Extended Universe reading and or shows, where should I start, Nathan? um okay so he about to flex extended universe is technically just the books at this point because the well okay back up the technical name for it now is the legends canon which is basically they went in before the release of i'm gonna shift and it's gonna make a lot of noise and i apologize all right there we go um they went in before the release of uh the force awakens and they basically decanonized all of the books um, and they have brought back some of them in with, you know, writing the Thrawn stuff and they, they've, they brought some of it back, but mostly it's decanonized. So that's called the legends canon. If you want to start with those books, I, I mean, I think sort of the high watermarks rogue squadron is the rogue squadron and race squadron series. That's 10 books total. They're really high watermarks. Michael, Michael J Stackpole, Michael a Stackpole is actually a r- really good author. Um, the courtship of princess Leia is the chronological first book that it takes place right after, um, right after return of the jedi it's like the next thing the like gang does it's very interesting um (laughs) getting the gang back together yeah yeah it it is it is really that uh the new jedi order books are just sort of luke goes to yavin and instead of becoming a hermit he sort of starts a new jedi order and that's a really nice crossover book because you get stuff from you get stuff from the rogue squadron and race squadron you get stuff from the sort of courtship of princess leia arc founding the new republic arc that's where i would start uh in terms of shows i mean the clone wars show is excellent rebels is very yes. good don't sleep on the clone Wars show uh, i think ryan's probably watched all these but the, the extended there weren't any extended universe shows unfortunately uh but the the books is really what the the legends canon is about now. i would i would also say play um shadows of the empire from in shadows of the empire and also the book shadows yep. of the empire is I, I i think i'm pretty sure shadows is still canon although i, I couldn't promise you i don't know if it I um they might have been added to legends canon shadows of the empire takes place between i think the episode four and episode five mm-hmm. and it's about sort of like a han solo copy dash randar uh it's really good um 
the and then i guess for books also the sort of the or for games the there are some really good star wars uh legend games so so knights of the old republic and knights of the old republic 2 so, are probably the hard yeah. the high the high watermark um two of the best games ever made yeah they they really they really are um then there there's a game where you play as sort of like a gray jedi that i really like uh that is the name is escaping me it's like the newest one no 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 you play it is an, it's an old game um i'll tell you just a second <laughs> fallen order is good but that's yeah. not what i'm talking about uh the problem is there's like a hundred star wars video games so okay yeah the star wars jedi knight academy series is a yes. or, or three or four very very good games the the rogue leader uh x-wing games and then the tie fighter game are very good but i was actually gonna i was gonna say uh a, the star wars the force unleashed series is really interesting it's kind of like it's like you're kind of sith you're kind of a bad guy. You're at least a bad boy Jedi. You know what I mean? Uh, and it's very interesting. It, it, the Force Unleashed series really influenced the the Fallen Order series. Anyway, we got to move on. <laughs> uh, let's see. Do, do, do. Jay Ashley, best game day activities for someone going their first game is a non-red code. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> Nathan's Nathan's only done it a few times. I just really like walking through. Like, don't stay in two places too long. I would say just keep walking through uh, campus, keep seeing what you see. Um, I I really love game days with a, a later kickoff time because you get to kind of meander your way through campus and see, you, you just kind of see who you see. And you might know, you, you'll be surprised by how many more people you know that are just there tailgating. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm always surprised by how many people I just run into that I know. And I think it's it's a really neat way to experience it. And everybody's friendly and ready to hang out. And like people just invite you in. And it's it's one of the camaraderie is 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 really special. And I think that we can all relate to that is that the, the reason why we're a part of all this thing is because we enjoy the camaraderie and it's on full display on game days, um, just walking through campus. And so I would definitely, definitely go and do that. Um yeah, I would say uh, also breweries are fun. Breweries that's are one thing fun. I've done. Yeah, all good is the game day spot. And if you want to go hang out, uh, yeah. Cap Falcon asks, what do you think is the best drink after a long day of outside work and after a long day of frustrating meetings at the office? Hmm. Outside work, I'm definitely like a lager guy. Mm-hmm. I, I think uh, like a classic city lager or like a Kolsch or just something cold uh, a lot of times like a bohemian style mexican beer uh pacifico is my favorite cheap mm-hmm. mexican beer i love pacifico uh in the shower it's, it's i think like the high, the high watermark shower beer what what do you think for outside work outside work i like something more tart i like an athena something like that a berliner vice um depends on what time of the year too like if it's in the fall i want to have like an allagash white it's nice and and folly or an Oktoberfest. Um, or an Oktoberfest, yeah. And after a long day of frustrating meetings, uh, bourbon. <laughs> <laughs> Just bourbon. I, I I try to avoid frustration drinking because yep. for me personally it doesn't end well. But I like to make a cocktail when I really had a stressful day and I want to drink. I want to make something that like has a process to the making of it. Even if I have a beer, I want to have a good beer that I pour mm-hmm. and like try to get the pour right and smell it and do the whole process. But like I really like to make a cocktail because I find like the act of making it can kind of de-stress sometimes. So like I'll make an old fashioned from scratch and really like 
really zone in on like the experience of making it or I'll make, you know, like some kind of aperitif drink or mm -hmm. I'll make a mint julep or something, but just the, 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 the process is good. Um, next question from Abby favorite cosplay to do or favorite cosplay you have seen. I mean, I'm, <laughs> I, I, that's, uh, a, that's a big question, dude. We always have fallback star Wars costumes, but my favorite costumes I've seen still, I think is, uh, I think this is important because of, of dragon con, uh, dragon con was this past weekend. Um, RIP, I did not go, but, um, I saw a bunch of guys dressed up as the soldiers from Mulan when they all dress up, at, um, huh. uh, at, you know, and they, they go undercover as, I don't know the pro the actual name of, they're that not Cortesians. Corte thank you. Cortesians. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That, I was going to say Grisha, which is because I've been reading Geisha, Shadow and Bone, Geisha but I know that Geisha was the word, but I couldn't think. Cortesians. I know that's not, uh, proper either. I think I don't actually know. Um, but yeah. I know you have a Han Solo fallback as well. Yeah, I have a Han Solo fallback. Uh, I have not done a lot of cosplaying just because every I have to go to a, a game this weekend every year for Dragon Con when I would normally do cosplaying. Uh, I think one of my favorite ones that I've ever seen, I saw John Lewis cosplaying as himself at the Selma <laughs> Bridge with... No, seriously. Like John That's Lewis, incredible. He went to Dragon Con, and he was wearing the outfit he had on at the Selma Bridge, like the, the long gray awesome. trench coat and the backpack. But then he had a whole pack of little kids following him, also dressed like him. That's so cool. Which I thought was really cool. Yeah. Uh, next question. Cowboy McPoyle. I think this is the first question for this person. How concerned, if at all, are we about offensive production? Was Saturday just a reflection of injuries, playing a really strong defense, or a lack of an offensive identity? And I know this is the second time we've asked this already, but this is the first time they've asked offensive identity. Identity. So, um, I, I, I think it is. I think it's sort of a, a, a com it's a combination of the first two, right? Really, mm -hmm. it's it's a, it's injuries and defense. I think there is an offensive identity. I just don't think we've seen it yet. And I think yep. that until you get back, especially Darnell and a, a healthy Kyrus and a healthy Jermaine Burton, you're not going to be able to see it. Yeah. Uh, the nine eighty four. Who would win, UGA or the Pac twelve North All Stars? <laughs> so yeah, I, I've been doing some. Um, I've been doing a little bit of just sort of poking around on this mm -hmm. on this question. So the Pac-12 North, okay, so you have you have a couple of teams that mean that you would probably have – it would probably be the All-Stars mm -hmm. because you have a couple of teams in the North Division that have some really good players. So you have Oregon, California, Oregon State, Stanford, Washington, Washington State. So the biggest thing is you get Kayvon Thibodeau with that uh, – with, with that – with from Oregon who is is a game wrecking pass breaker. He might be the best the best player in the nation. So that alone makes me think probably the Pac-12 North you have you have just like a very deep team. So if you're doing the All-Stars and you're we're assuming that you're only going to get like 85 players of like the 85 players in the Pac-12 North, I think it would I think it's probably the All-Star team, but I think it would be closer than my instinct is just to be like Oh no! Obviously, it's the All Star team. It's not close because you get to pick, pick mm -hmm. the best players. But I think with UJ's defense, it would actually be closer than you think it would be. The problem would be like how good is the All Star team defense? Yeah. Right? Is it as good? Because like, is if the all I, I don't think that the All Star team offense would be good enough to really put a dent in UJ's defense. But the question would be, is the All Star team defense as good as Clemson's? Probably. So I would still I would say probably the All Star team, but. 
if I was answering the question seriously, but it is sort of a uh, reflection of how the mighty have fallen that I'm having to think about it because my, <laughs> my default reaction would just be like, it's obviously the all-star team, but I, I think it would actually be a pretty close game. Yeah, I think so. Why was uh, Eric Gluckman asked, why was prevailing wisdom that this would be a high scoring football game? To me, it seemed obvious that two teams with oodles of defensive capability would play well and two relatively unproven offenses in flux would exhibit exactly what we saw, especially in their first game. Well, I think, Two things. One, you know, despite what we saw out of these offenses, I think they both do have pretty high ceilings. I think the talent, there's a lot of talent on both sides. I don't think anyone expected Georgia's defense to be as good as it was in this first thing. I mean, in this first game, because I mean, you got to remember, you know, as late as Thursday and Friday, there were real questions about like who was going to start at the cornerback positions. How was Keely Reagan going to look? How was, you know, how was Latrevious Brinning going to hold up? Who was like Latrevious Brinning, like low key was one of the players of the game who was not in the, the front seven. Mm -hmm. um, so, in that sense, I think it kind of makes sense because I think we all expected good defensive showings, but I don't think we expected Georgia to do that. Not uh, like that. My, my favorite description of that game from Georgia's defense was that it was from Spencer Hall was that it looked like a dog park that you had just thrown <laughs> a tennis ball into ever on every snap. Mm -hmm. And it was just like 11 dudes just running around as fast as they can. All right, let's go to this first. This last question is my favorite. This is really, this is hardly a question. It's more of a joke. Uh, P44 Haynes, one question. What time is it in Clemson? It's ten to three, <laughs> always. It's gonna be two fifty for baby. the rest of the light for the rest of the uh, year there. Uh, okay, well let's get into our last couple segments. The first of the last two, Yara's Rage Against the Machine. This is gonna be as always our lightning round because it's our most chaotic segment. Uh, thank you so much, Yara, for always sending all of these in one big text chain. Uh, and I hope you're enjoying your journey to college football. Uh, love? Question mark. Not sure if it'll become love, but we'll see. Only time will tell. Ready? Mm -hmm. Not a question, but holy shit, we won, bro. That was awesome. I love football. I love red coats. Go dogs. Sick em. <laughs> Number two. Have y'all seen that fire ass pick of me screaming with the Sousa on my back? Because OML. On my life. Thank you. On my life. I look so badass. I have, and she does. Very do. good. Who are your top three players of the game and why? I mean, I think it's got to be Jordan Davis, Nicobe Dean, and then Christopher Smith. Christopher Smith. Yeah, is obviously the number one. Yeah. Uh, what were your top three plays of the game and why? I mean, it's the Christopher Smith, it's the Christopher <laughs> Smith interception, and then pick two sacks that you like for yeah. your own flavor. Go wild. Uh, tag yourself as a Mayo classic moment. I'm either the really easy trivia or the Clemson dude eating mayo from the jar, like his damn life depended on. <laughs> I am the country singer who sang the national anthem, but actually started low enough to sing it as a baritone, which I really respect. Give me a book rec for this week. Okay, I, I have two. I have two. One would be Ursula K. Le Guin's Left Hand of Darkness, which is about humans meeting an alien race, and it's, like, gender-bendy, and it's, like, all about, like, what is identity, and, like, like when you meet aliens, does it do our preconceived notions of gender and identity really matter? Yes. And two is the... The second one would be... Uh, octavia butler's xenogenesis series it start the first of it is i think new dawn and it's also sometimes called lilith brood um octavia butler i think is one of the best american authors ever and she's not very well known in part yep. because she's a black woman but uh xenogenesis the series is about humans meeting aliens and how they like evolve and how like what it means to be human they're both very deeply transhumanist text and transhumanism is this really interesting philosophical idea about sort of like humans evolving past their current like meat state or whatever mm -hmm. and i i think both of those would be right up your alley cute um based on 
what we saw at the Mayo Classic. What are your biggest predictions and thoughts about the upcoming home game? We're going to run like 50 times. Death. It's going to be a really fast game. It is. We're going we're to get out of there in like two and a half hours because we're going to run the ball like 50 <laughs> times. I'm not joking. You don't think it's going to be a game where, where they kind of try some I mean, things out? I, I think we're going to air it out a little bit, but then I think, you know, I think we're going to throw it probably at the beginning just to like get get you know knock some rust, rust off especially if mm -hmm. we can get if kiers jackson or blaylock come back i think we want to get them worked into the rotation get yeah. burton worked into the rotation but i do think once this team gets up like 17 you know 20 points we're just going to run the ball like one of the same five plays again and again and again what's something you wish somebody told you in college i <laughs> wish yeah i mean do you want to answer this one too i think you have some life. i think they're they're just not they're not the best years of your life i mean they can be yeah but I, don't put that like when you put things like that on a pedestal it, it kind of dehumanizes yeah, you, certain yeah things. You, you don't put the pressure i wish somebody told me to just like enjoy it to just yeah. like and i enjoyed myself a lot in college but i wish someone had told me like hey you don't have to this doesn't have to be perfect mm -hmm. and then i also wish someone had said like you know to really just chase your enthusiasms that's yes. something that i didn't figure out i did i kind of knew that in college but i wish someone had told me like like whatever the weird shit that you're into like just do that. do that push push down the path of your enthusiasm as far as it will go because like there's really no reason to get up in the morning if you don't have something like that yeah at least for me enthusiasm is attractive yes yeah. to put it that's, succinctly that's one of the chapel bell curve discord rules yes enthusiasm is attractive chase your weird yeah who's the mvp on the team right now in your opinion and why i mean i think it's un it's it's got to be it's Christopher Smith, but I mean, overall, I think if you want to like most impactful player, it's probably Nicobe Dean. Yeah, Nicobe Dean. In a really big game. I would say. Are you a pumpkin spice person? Yes. Oh, yes. Absolutely. I'm basic, baby. I'm, I mean, I'm an apple person too, but I love pumpkin spice. Oh, yeah. Dr. James Bearfield uh, has sent in some questions between both himself and his wife. So uh, here goes our Dr. James Bearfield Troll Corner presented by Cheer Wine. It's the, the, the wine that gives you diabetes. TM, TM, TM. Thank you, thank you, thank you. What is past interference? Because I am very confused as to what constitutes it after this game. <laughs> I, I literally don't know. I have no idea. How would you equate this game to the lottery paradox? So... Basically, this is about like the lottery paradox. This is not what the lottery paradox would say it is, but it's basically a paradox about this uh, like misleading statistics fallacy, right? The idea mm -hmm. that like it, it's basically like a, 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 a paradox about rationality and the idea that like if you have a thousand ticket lottery with one winning, one, um, one, if you have a thousand ticket lottery with one winning ticket, then it's rational to accept that someone will win the lottery. And it mm -hmm. has to do with like the rational acceptance, uh, like rational acceptance, like uh, thought process. Right. And it's, it's basically like a logic puzzle. So I guess I would, I would equate it to it because like rationally someone had to win this game and someone <laughs> had to score enough points to win. And so that is how that works. When we had the pick six, that was, I guess it. Yeah. What was missing from the offense to get something going? I mean, I don't think it's what was missing. It was who was missing. Yeah, and an explosive place also. Yeah. Are you surprised that Mr. Sweeney, I'm saying Mr. Sweeney, essentially blamed the game on Ross by saying he ran the wrong route on the pick six? All right, I'm trying not to get fired. <laughs> Without yeah. making any comments about anyone else, I think it doesn't shock me because Dabo Sweeney is fake. Yeah. He is a hypocrite, and he is fake. That's a good answer. My wife's question, who would make a better stepdaddy, Rick or Kirby? <laughs> I mean, I think it's obviously Rick, right? Like Rick. I don't so go ahead, finish your thought. Okay, well, who would make a better dad? 
I mean, I don't want to compare because that seems very personal, mm-hmm. but like it's Step-daddy, very clear that, do it, yeah. that Mark Richt is a great dad. But stepdad, it depends on like what is the basis on which we're saying a stepdad is good. Are we saying a stepdad is good if they perform all the duties of a dad? Or are we mm-hmm. saying a stepdad is, de- is good if he acts very much like a stepdad? Because... <laughs> If it's the second one, then it's definitely Kirby because yeah. like he's got that like distant stepdad shit on lock. Yeah, he does. But if it's like who would just be the be- who would be the more caring guy who would teach you life lessons because your dad the, wasn't who's around? The daddy. That would be that's Rick, I think. Yeah, it's it depends. Yeah, you're right. Are we following stepdaddy tropes? Or are we saying who would be who would do the better role? Um, for me, I think as someone who has a stepfather, um, I don't think I think I'd rather have Kirby because I know what he's about, and I with Rick. I feel like I wouldn't trust him because he's too nice. And I'd be like, I'd just kind of give him the squinty eyes as often as possible, kind of thinking like, what are, you, what are you actually after? What's going on with you? And he would tell me the same stuff every time, and it'd always be nice, and he'd follow through. But I still just wouldn't. Something would, would be off. But Kirby, I would know exactly what it was about. <laughs> I feel like he has no issue telling me. Uh, final question. Equate this game to a poem. <clears throat> All right, we're going to do Emily Dickinson again. Okay. We're going to do Emily Dickinson, poem 269, which is wild. Nice. It's, called, it's often called Wild Nights. Um, this is also, by the way, I don't want to get into like any uh, Holmesian versus Watsonian analysis or whatever, but if you're asking for a formalist reason that I think Emily Dickinson was gay, this is this poem. Anyway, Wild Nights, Wild Nights, where I with thee, Wild Nights should be our luxury. Feudal, the wind, stale heart and port, done with the compass, done with the chart. Rowing in Eden, ah, the sea, might have but more tonight in thee. So, yeah, I think it was pretty wild night. That's why I picked it. Wild night's also, wild I want to just say out loud that I think Emily Dickinson was a lesbian, and like you're stupid if you don't. Anyway, carry on. <laughs> That's the show. We did the thing. Do you want to see us out? Yeah, this has been Chapel Bell Curve. If you liked what you heard here today, you can find us on social media at Chapel Bell Curve. You can email us if you want to get in in contact with us at chapelbellcurve at gmail.com. If you want to get in contact with me and Justin, I mean, at Chapel Bell Curve is your your best place for DMs, but you can also follow us. You can follow me at Nathan J. Lawrence and Justin at the Justin Bray. If you want to support the podcast, you can leave us a rating or review in your favorite podcasting site of choice, or you can find us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Chapel Bell Curve. We will catch you in the classic city next week. It's been about two years since we've been able to say that honestly, mm-hmm. but until then, go dogs. Go dogs.